0: Welcome, everybody, to episode 174 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, which, as usual, features David and I, but we have a guest. Hello.
1: Hello. Hi, Holly.
2: Hey, Holly. Thank you for joining us tonight.
1: Oh, no, it's nice to be here. Thank you. Thanks for asking me.
2: (laughs) And Holly and I know each other kind of indirectly through the Gallifrey Base Forum, where we bump into each other in the games of Rassilon. Ah, it's another (laughs) games of Rassilon (laughs) person.
1: There's a lot of us.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, Holly, how did you get into Doctor Who at first?
1: Um, Well, I I started in 2005, because I was five, and uh, I guess my (laughs) parents just thought, well, my dad watched it um, for a bit in the 70s, and I guess he just thought, uh, start on it, see what happened. Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, just fell in love with it, like, instantly.
2: As a kid then, right away, or?
1: Yeah, I think so, yeah. I mean, my earliest memory probably is the Christmas invasion, but I know... I was watching it in, um, like, the, the Eccleston stuff, because uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> my memory of Christmas Invasion right.
0: is...
2: So is, is so is David Tennant? Is yeah, David... yeah,
1: Yeah. Tennant is my favourite, but um, I know I was, I was watching from the start.
2: And your memory of Christmas Invasion was...
1: Oh, yeah, just, uh, I mean, being really sad that this guy, like, not understanding why why this guy wouldn't get out of bed and save the day and thinking, I want the old guy back, basically. <laughs> but um, he won me around.
2: Mm-hmm. How how quickly?
1: I can't quite remember. I mean pretty fast. Probably by by New Earth certainly, because series two is um, <laughs> like my series.
2: hmm Is it Doomsday that's the big standout for you or is there is there another story that really grabbed you?
1: Um I mean yeah, I guess Doomsday. These days these days um I love Love of Monsters controversially. <laughs> I know. Yeah. At the time probably not so much, but um
3: mm-hmm.
1: it's going to be a lot. Like, yeah, I love Lover Monsters.
2: Did you like identify with the doctor? Did you identify with Rose? Did, did you have like a favorite character that you gravitated to?
1: Yeah, I think I think I love Dr. Who most, at like when it's domestic, which is probably um counterintuitive for a show about an alien who travels through time and space. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, that whole the fact that that anyone could walk down the street and sort of find themselves in an adventure and then it happened to Rose who you could identify with. And, um, yeah, and that whole family unit, Jackie, like I love Jackie, I think the addition of sort of companion family members that T. Davis brought in is uh something that I miss in the in the classic series much as like I love the classic series
2: right, and I guess Ben's a big fan of r t d too so what is it about that time period that works for you ben I guess i what mean, what what made you cotton onto it right away
0: uh, that's a good question, I mean, I think um because it was starting again mm-hmm. um and i was watching with my kids <laughs> so that's a plus you know i he's just he's just really good at writing normal people and the show you know under his direction show running inness um was a show about normal people in extraordinary circumstances and it was very clear there's a very clear thinking which i like um about exactly what makes doctor who an attractive show to people and and it was you know he thought very clearly about the about the classic series and then he thought about what made him love that series so much and it's it's not because you want to be the doctor it's because you want to be the companion um and he kind of correctly identified that the point of the show certainly under his direction was the companions and as soon as you realize that the companions are the key thing then you start to write about them and they have families and they have lives and, you know, they have, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, etc. And it sort of flows naturally from that. So that's, I mean, that's why I, I like him so much because he just writes realistic people, I think. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously they aren't real people, but they're realistic people.
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Like, I, th- I feel like for me there's obviously an element of nostalgia because there always will be. But, um yeah, yeah, it's the, it's the realness, exactly.
3: Yeah.
2: So is, is it beyond just the Tyler family that you like with uh, Jackie, Pete, and Rose? Is it, you know, like uh, Mickey and then just, like Martha's family? How how did you reset when, like in series three, when we say goodbye to the Tylers at the end of season two?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it's always hard when like a favorite companion or probably especially your, your first companion leaves. Like you don't necessarily know mm-hmm. what to expect. But I also feel like, I don't know, I, I was just kind of, I was just sort of swept along with it. And Smith and & Jones, I think, is such a great opener to a season and introduction to a yeah. companion. And yeah. um, and obviously at that point, like a year had passed since since Rose had gone, and I was sort of ready for the next, yeah, the next the next thing. And I don't necessarily feel like he did as good a job with Martha's family, maybe, or to be fair, like not as much time was devoted to them.
3: Mm-hmm. But
1: then you yeah, uh, get Wilf, obviously, in Series 4 is probably the next best. Yeah. And I like I love Will, he's great and that whole relationship with Donna and their Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny actually. I can remember watching um the first Martha one. What's that called again? Sorry. Smith and Jones. Smith and Jones, that's it. And and then that kind of pre credits thing where you kind of introduce the family and they have little vignettes which go oh yeah. And I was thinking, Oh great, okay, there's gonna be a new family. And then he sort of loses his interest in, in there being a new family. I mean, Martha's probably my favorite tenant companion, I think. Mm. I think she's really good. And I'm sorry that she got wrapped up in a kind of unrequited crush on the Doctor storyline, which is, you know, I'm not too keen on that. Um, but I mean, I actually, I mean, the. Martha's family does work well, you know, her irritating mother, um, <laughs> who ends up being kidnapped by the, Mar- by the master like everyone else, I think, worked well. And, you know, and her kind of go-getting sister. But, um, yeah, I mean, I do, you do get the impression that what RTD liked writing about was the kind of soap aspect of the estate where the Tylers lived, basically. Um, and he, you know, kind of enjoyed that aspect. In a similar way that Moffat really found it hard to write for normal people, I mean, I guess, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, he's, I mean, his background, I, as far as I understand it, is you know mainly in kind of sort of comedy ish writing, and it seems to me that all of the the kind of domestic writing for Moffat is is sort of a like a sitcom, or like a wisecracking activity, which doesn't really make for real people.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think Moffat is kind of objectively genius I think it's probably fair to say Mm -hmm. and um yeah his era is it's very funny and I do like that but it's not not to the same extent as um yeah he just doesn't he doesn't nail the domestic stuff for me as well as Wesley Davis but I don't think he's trying to and I don't think Doctor Who has to be that it's just yeah it's certainly how I prefer it
0: yeah no I I think it's more more of an observation I guess rather than a criticism of, of his writing And again, I mean, as I think I've said before, again, the Matt Smith doctor, the 11th doctor, was the doctor that broke the States. You know, that was the doctor that really exploded over here. And that's down to the cleverness and the intricacy of Moffat's writing and, you know, the charisma of Matt Smith, which is considerable. Um, Not that, you know, the others don't have charisma as well. But yeah.
1: Yeah. Were you in the States then when um, the Matt Smith stuff was airing for the first time?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I've I've lived here since two thousand and two. So I mean, you know, I can. In two thousand and five, I was getting videotapes sent by my sister who'd video the the show and then and then send send them to me. Um, and that's how I was watching it because it was you know pre streaming really in many ways. And then gradually it got more and more accessible. And you know we used to find other ways to watch it that are possibly ways that you shouldn't watch it. Um, and then you know then it just became available. <laughs> I think the first time, I think actually it was Series Three. Actually, that it really became streamable. No, it was available on Apple iTunes. That was it. So you could download it from iTunes because um, I can remember watching the um, uh, 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 with the with the with the Derek Jacobi master. Um, oh yeah,
1: yeah, Utopia.
0: Utopia. That's it. I can remember watching that on an aeroplane. I'm flying back from LA, and I'm watching it on my laptop when I download it onto iTunes, and I think that's the first time. Anyway, so that's a long answer, but yes, yeah, it's. I mean, what again? One of the things I always find kind of exciting and interesting about Doctor Who is that pretty much every aspect of it describes a variety of history. So, if you think about the show all the way from 1963 to 2020, not only are the societal Social storytelling things give you a picture of English British society over fifty fifty plus years. Um, but also, it gives you an idea of media as well. You know, it started out on tiny little black and white television sets um, with a you know an aerial on top of your house, and now it's something that you know you can watch on your phone. So it's it's that's what, again that's why it's such a marvelous show because it's this continuity over all these aspects of history, which I think is interesting.
2: And you probably saw that because you just completed it. Was it just a classic Who marathon or was it the, the, all of Who? Uh,
1: yeah, just classic Who. Um, started when, when lockdown hit. I mean, I've been wanting to for a long time and I sort of thought that I didn't have time and I didn't know quite how to go about it for a while because before it was a brick box, obviously it would be a case of buying or renting DVDs, which is quite a big investment because I, like, I wasn't sure that I was going to like it. It wasn't a... right. Yeah, it wasn't a sure thing, but then suddenly lockdown hit, and like the fact that there was so much of it was just another appeal.
0: Wow. So how did you end up watching it?
1: Uh, yeah, BritBox, which was
0: oh, on BritBox. Okay, right. And they they have everything from Unearthly Child onwards on BritBox.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um. Whoa. Including uh episodes of of stories where some some of it's missing. They've got all all surviving episodes and stories. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
2: So you, you missed over the like totally missing stories like uh like the massacre for in of Hartnell and stuff.
1: Yeah. I'm gonna get him out.
2: Yeah, I'm sure, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> so with Rose and the Tyler's being your first kind of family, was there any particular era or companion that you thought worked as well?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the unit years is probably like the closest you get to um that sort of domestic family feel. And I, I love the era. Because of that, like Joe the Brig, Yates Benton, that whole team, I love, I love that like family. Um, but then even, yeah, I I wasn't sure that I was gonna like it mainly because I wasn't sure, I guess that I was I was gonna be able to invest in it because I sort of I knew it wasn't gonna be quite the same sort of tonally and in terms of in terms of that character development, I suppose. But actually, I yeah, I loved. I was really surprised by how how much I loved. Like Ian and Barbara, like from day one they they got the companions, right, I love Ian and Barbara, right. um
3: yeah,
1: and then the one people the ones I weren't like expecting necessarily to like that you don't people don't talk about so much, like Romana One, I love and um mm-hmm. Zoe and Tegan I quite like Tegan <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then all the obvious ones, obviously, like uh Leela and Sarah Jane, who I knew because of um Scott union and stuff. But
2: yeah. Yeah. Well, School Reunion, you, you, like you said, you had that introduction to Sarah. How do you think RTD did capturing Sarah's personality character when he brought her back? Did you watch the Sarah Jane Adventures too?
1: I did watch the Sarah Jane Adventures. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that. I don't know if I'm best placed to say how well he brought her back because that was my first... Um, right. Yeah. But my first exposure to her.
0: How well do you think he kind of reverse engineered her then? <laughs> Did you did you recognise the character when she first appears in The in Time Warrior? I mean, did was it like, oh yeah, that's Sarah Jane. I remember her from School Reunion.
1: I think she changes quite a lot between the Letts and the Hinchcliffe years. Yeah. I feel like School Reunion onwards, Sarah Jane is, is closer to um, Hinchcliffe Sarah Jane maybe than Letts Sarah Jane.
2: Really? Right. Right. What, what makes you think that?
1: Oh, um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think. I guess in the Letts era, she's more kind of... Quite hard, and maybe they go a bit. Yeah, she just. I think they. I think Hinchcliffe softened her, not in a not in a bad way, or in like a sort of screaming all the time way, which yeah. which could become an issue sometimes with classic companions. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, more approachable, I guess, and unlikable, and, and she had that friendlier dynamic with the Doctor, maybe rather than um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. That's not a good answer.
2: It's a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: Maybe slightly antagonistic with Pertwee, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I think, again, I mean, that's that's one of the interesting things about this show, is that the, the kind of the characters of the actors inform the characters of the characters. So, again, from what one reads, you know, obviously Pertwee and Sladen got on very well, but Pertwee wasn't well in that final year with his back um and he knew you know and again he he was thinking about going and he um was upset that Katie Manning had left because they'd gotten on really well and then your know, Roger Delgado dies you know etc 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 um sorry that's a horrible thing to say after someone dies etc 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 um uh and So, you know, obviously relationships going to be more of a kind of written relationship. So it's a relationship that's written by the writers. Whereas, you know, obviously Tom and Liz got on really, really well. So their relationship kind of transcends the written word and becomes about the relationship of two people. Similarly, I mean, again, as you point out, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Romana One. But, you know, the chemistry between Tom Baker and Lala Ward is very clear because they got on really well initially. And then they got married. And then they stopped getting on. But, you know, that's <laughs> how it works.
1: Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. And uh, him and Mary Tam as well, Romana 1.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, beg your pardon. Yeah, I beg your pardon. Yeah, I was thinking about um, Romana 2. Yeah, yeah. So how did you find the criticism of the you know classic series? Is it slowness compared to the 2005 series? I mean, how did you find that?
1: I guess I, I went in expecting that to an extent, so, maybe my expectations about how house so it would be were so low that uh <laughs> I really I didn't, I didn't it wasn't an issue for me at
3: all. Right. Like really, it's great. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Cuz like I say it wasn't it wasn't a sure thing that I was going to like it cuz there are so many differences. not just sort of superficial production mm-hmm. value ones, but um as I say tone and pace and, and all sorts of stuff, but fundamentally it's still doctor Who, Grey, isn't it?
2: Yeah. What did you miss or how different did it seem coming from a New Who perspective growing up with RTD and then Moffat era Doctor Who and then switching to effectively what Ben and I would have grown up with in the 60, well, 70s Doctor Who and 60s Doctor Who. For Ben, it was all reading it in Target novelization, so we didn't even didn't even get to watch it. We read about it. We read it. It was <laughs> written.
1: Yeah. How was it? Yeah, no, I just—it's still—it's still still Doctor Who, and I suppose it was a sort of maybe a culture shock initially, (laughs) just because *An Child* isn't the greatest story of all time, anyway. I don't think (laughs) parts two to four—they—they are slow, Mm -hmm. but in general, I didn't find that an issue. I sort of—I quite enjoyed that about classic Who, is that you start a serial and it just—and you—you get to really know those characters, and there's enough time that, that. like suspense can build and you can sort of just get drenched in the atmosphere of whatever's going on and um it's an advantage it's and it's yeah it's different and it's sort of it's a shame that modern who can't do that to the same extent but then modern who has its own advantages so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah.
2: and some of those advantages like you mentioned the character driven or is there other bits
1: i mean yeah i guess that's probably the main one Mm -hmm. um Production values, if you mind that sort of thing, which I right. don't really. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think you can. I sort of. I feel like if you watch classic Doctor Who, you have to sort of learn to unsee it. Otherwise, you're not going to enjoy something like something like Talons, because it's got it's got a giant friendly furry rat in the suit. <laughs> <Very rat>, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's an amazing story. So you sort of have to unsee that, and then when you unsee that, you can unsee all the rest of it. And yeah,
2: uh-huh. I found. Well, so since you brought up Tom Baker, and that's been our focus this past summer on the podcast, uh, had you seen any Tom Baker before he appeared as the curator in the 50th anniversary special?
1: Yeah, I had. So I saw Genesis of the Daleks. Um, I remember seeing that on, on DVD on holiday when I was probably about eight. Mm-hmm. I
3: don't
1: know why. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I imagine, I mean, by that point, I loved it. So I probably expressed an interest, and my parents got that one because, I mean, it's. Genesis of the Daleks. So right. uh, yeah, and I I remember loving that enough that I asked to watch another, and they got City of Death. Oh. They had extra taste, obviously, nice. which I also remember loving, especially the violent butler scene, which I still think is like one of the finest <laughs> individual scenes. Got to
2: <laughs> it's great.
1: It is. It's amazing. Yeah, but I think that was that was basically it in terms of what I'd seen before. When did I start? Early April this year.
0: So you watched all of classic Who. And you started in early April, and you've, you 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 finished everything.
1: Yeah, yep.
0: <laughs> How many episodes have you watched per day?
1: Probably about four. Nice. Was, uh, yeah, I mean it's a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> um, I was furloughed. I couldn't leave the house. Right. What else do you do?
0: Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, I mean,
1: It kept me sane at the start.
0: Yeah. To be mm.
1: Like there was a lot going on. There was a lot to be anxious about, and um, it's there's something so comforting about it even when it's like monsters in the the world and there's there's just a nice feel to it all and it uh yeah it helped and it wasn't yeah it wasn't the case of i was just trying to race through it and and watch it for the sake of it like i got to the end of an episode and wanted to watch the next one so yeah
2: oh wow so like some of the pacing uh web planet immediately comes to mind that's a hard one for me to watch all in one sitting because it's really slow. I don't know. <laughs> how, like, how would you handle the web planet? Is, one, is that one of them that you would just blaze through, or is that one that would kind of make you rethink your. Okay, to
1: be honest, I did struggle through the web planet. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I like the web
0: planet. I, it's I, fine.
1: Yeah, it's fine. It's not. It's not. Must watch the it, next one immediately. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sensorites. Sensorites is the one that I, I struggle with that seems glacial. Mm-hmm. At its pace, yes. the, the the web planet is just so ridiculous with this tiny little set, which is supposed to be a giant, great big planet, and then everyone dressed up as insects wandering around. It's just <laughs> it's just amusing. Basically,
1: it is. I mean, you have to admire the ambition. I do admire the ambition. I think it's great yes. that they thought, oh, what the hell, sort of, why not?
0: Yeah, we can, yeah yeah we can do this. Yeah, this be easy. Sure, <laughs> sure, yeah, we'll do this one about the insects and the planet. Yeah, it's fine.
1: Yeah, no, I, I struggled, I guess, with um, some of the some of the longer Hartnells as well. Just, I don't think, I mean, in general, I much prefer the four parts. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, especially things like The Web Planet and The But that said, I did still, I love the Hartneller much, much more than I thought I would. Because I watched, that's the other classic Who I'd seen before now. I watched An Unurty Child in um, 2013, because the BBC aired it again as part of the 50th year. And I watched right. the whole thing, and I thought oh god is this what all of black and white does <laughs> <laughs> um but it wasn't so it's all good mm-hmm. yeah
2: of like the black and white stuff do you have a preference between uh, Hartnell and Troughton
1: uh I love Trouton. I think he's amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. um I mean I love Hartnell too but yeah Trouton, and especially when when Jamie comes on board it's like right that partnership is gold yeah
2: yeah they have a good relationship A fun relationship
1: yeah it's great The whole that whole sort of ribbing each other but then trout and um yeah it's just great they're (laughs) dynamic.
2: yeah you're mates
1: (laughs) exactly exactly and yeah you can tell that they go on in real life it's nice Yeah. yeah
2: yeah and i think maybe this is my perspective on relationships if the actors got on that really translated into the screen because there wasn't a lot of that relationship being written into the scripts which are really plot heavy
1: yeah that's yeah exactly and I think that's still true in modern. Who even though they make more of an effort, maybe, or find the time to to write that relationship. You can still see, for example, that Tennant and Tate in series four right. really get on. I think oh, that's well, a fantastic yeah. Um, dynamic.
0: Yeah. When I, I was at the Gallifrey One convention in Los Angeles this year, and um, there's a lot of interesting people there. One of it was Janet Fielding. And she said something that really made sense to me, which I thought was very... And she's actually, she's a really insightful and interesting person in general. But she said, modern day, who takes a long time to make, but when you watch it, it's very fast. And classic, who was made very, very quickly, um, but when you watch it, it takes a long time. (laughs) Which seemed to me to be kind of, you know, really describing what it's like. You know, obviously, you know, a single camera show with lots of effects, it takes a long time to make Modern Who, but, you know, it's it happens really, really quickly. Um, and I think that, you know, to me, that sort of explains that. I mean, that's a really good way to look at the difference between the two. Um, and, I mean, I guess I'm just agreeing with David here, but when the actors get on, the writing can be so thin in some ways in in Classic Who that kind of natural characters kind of protrude through into the drama, which is good.
1: Yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, it's interesting that Janet Fielding said that when I, I feel like JNT was maybe the one who started, well, apart from the letter zero, I guess, trying to build up his companions' backstories and dynamics a little bit more, maybe, and spend a bit more time on them.
0: True. No, that's very true. That's very true, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, I...
0: For better or for worse.
1: <laughs> for be- Yeah. I quite like that TARDIS team of... um. Tegan Nissa and Advik. I can't even explain why. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I probably shouldn't. Advik is annoying. Nissa, um, I mean, she's she's fine. I just feel like together, I just I don't know. They complement each other. It is, they do have that um, kind of oh, what's the phrase I'm looking for? <laughs> like antagonistic relationship right. with each other, and there's always that bickering going on that is written for them. But for some reason, I just feel like it. It works.
2: Mm-hmm. You got Tegan being Stroppy, Adric being uh, emo Adric. and <laughs> and <laughs> and uh all emotional and Nissa kind of being the smart kid or yeah. the smart person.
1: Yeah, they compliment each other and I, and I believe those relationships, I guess. And even though they they are always kind of bickering, I don't feel like that gets in the way of um like they ob- they obviously do love each other, I think. Uh
2: huh i think they like each other yeah
1: yeah it's, it, it's just different and uh i appreciate the time that went into writing those dynamics even if even if um some people don't like it which i understand yeah
2: well i think the companions uh nissa tegan and Adric, like each other a lot better than perhaps the doctor likes them <laughs> collectively <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah. you, you get at the end of Ark of Infinity where the Doctor kind of shrugs his shoulder and you know accepts Tegan back, sort of like, I guess we're stuck with her after all.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, there's that. And um, about 30 seconds of Morning Adric after yes. <laughs> yeah. us. Uh,
0: yeah. he's He's gone,
2: good. <laughs> do, do, do you think, uh, like, Chimnall is a, I thought a child of the 1980s and I think, uh, well, a teen of the 1980s and he had a lot as a teenager to complain about for doctor who and there's a infamous i guess feedback where he's complaining to pip and jane baker about the show and i'm wondering if you think anything that during the chimno era is reflected or his answer to the 1980s when he was a teen watching the show
1: oh um i'm trying to think well i have i have seen that that clip of him uh speaking yeah. of Pip Pippin Jim Baker. Um it felt a bit harsh to be perfectly honest. <laughs> um I don't know, I guess I guess his era doesn't necessarily fall down some of the pitfalls that he um that that the eighties stuff might do, but I'm not a huge fan of the Chip and Lira for various reasons. Um hmm. Hmm. Th- yeah.
0: Have you watched Torchwood and the 'cause he was kind of involved with that at the beginning.
1: Yeah, I watched um I haven't finished Miracle Day, but uh
0: Right. Series right. one and
1: two. I quite like series one and two. I mean, Children of Earth is definitely far and away the best. The best torture.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's almost like a standalone. Basically, that one.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, that's all pure RTD too.
1: Yeah, it's like the the best Tortured he wasn't involved in, <laughs> but he also wasn't involved in, in, in the worst that's torture. That's true. That's so, true. So yeah. Yeah,
0: I've had difficulties with the last two seasons. they they're kind of undercooked, as far as I'm concerned. There's, they're not really resolved well and there's also who. too many people um uh, and I understand that you know that he's trying to get these kind of dynamics going but again that's kind of underwritten to my mind yeah but then again what I think what's what's always good about doctor who is that you can criticize each of the stories but the doctors are always good and the kind of prime example for me of that one is the tv movie from 90 Six, which is you know objectively bad yeah um yet paul mcgann is amazing and because he was in that movie we then have all of the big finishes with paul mcgann and then you know he turns up for the 50th anniversary and he's just he's just a great doctor um so all the doctors are awesome and when people say like which is your favorite doctor um you know because well when i'm talking to people who are don't Really care about the show, then I'll say what my favourite doctor is. But when I when I'm talking to people who do like the show, and you know, as fans like myself, there's no such thing as a favourite doctor. You can't rank them; they're all good. Um, they all bring a particular aspect of that character to the show, and you can't really say one is better than the other. Yeah, which is that's... which is a long way of saying that Jodie's great.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can't. I don't think you can. I can't rank them definitively because. Certainly, in the middle that list, it changes on a daily mm-hmm. basis, really. But like, yeah. <laughs> I have, I have my top tier. I mean, I know that Tennant is probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. I mean, possibly largely because of nostalgia, but also I, I do think he's amazing. And then Tom, right behind him.
2: Really? Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Tom, Tom leapfrogged um, Eccleston and Smith. It's very impressive. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. Wow. But, well done, but Tom. After, after sort of those two, like, yeah, as you say, it would, it, it would change all the time.
2: Yeah. So the Time Team of Sarah, the Doctor, and Harry is one of my favorite TARDIS teams. There, I think you do get a sense of their characters and their personalities playing off each other. Is is my sense of it. How do you see that season?
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I feel like I need to rewatch some of the early Toms because I was I was a bit distracted by uh, resenting him for not being John Pertwee. Who?
2: Oh, really? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was that was that felt like a very sudden change. I mean, between Perkwick and Tom, but also the directions of those eras. I mean, like mm-hmm. I said, I was really enjoying the uh, Earth-based stuff. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I do need to re-watch some of maybe Robot and Ark in space, especially in mm-hmm. space because, I mean, it is excellent. But yeah, on the whole season 12, Tom and Sarah anyway, just I'd, I'd watch them doing anything. Um, <laughs> I like Harry. I don't know if he necessarily added to it. It sort of felt mm-hmm. like, I mean, it hasn't, hasn't, Tom himself said that they kind of brought him in to be the sort of young action-y Ian yeah. type and then realized that they didn't necessarily need that because Tom could do that.
2: Yeah. Which I
1: guess is a bit of a shame because I, I, I did like him, but um yeah, I'm not sure how much he added really.
2: So just touching back on something you said earlier, it was a big shock or a big change going from Pertwee to Baker. How would you describe it I mean, beyond what you said?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um. I suppose season eleven they had been starting to go away from the earth based stuff, and actually before that, but um, there's a there's a sort of fundamental change in tone. It became that more sort of gothic thing, whereas the let's era, I guess, is more sort of is wholesome the right word? <laughs> I'm going to go with wholesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wholesome
0: will do. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, which season twelve and well Henshaw in general kind of moved away from. Not for the worst, by any means, it's just, yeah, it was just different and it sort of threw me through a few stories.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting what what you're saying about Harry, because I've read that too, that, you know, they, they introduced the character Harry because the original, you know, they were looking at doctors who could possibly be a lot older, like Mr. Pastry or whoever. And then they plumped someone who was younger, and then okay, well, we don't need this character anymore, which I think actually is wrong because Harry is amazing, and (laughs) it's really sad to me that he didn't really get a proper send off and also wasn't on it for longer because I think they kicked him off because they're like, okay, we don't need him, but actually, such a good character, and again, I mean, I think as is obvious by. What you read um, is that Tom Baker and Ian Marta got on hugely well, and that relationship comes through. And the thing about Harry is, he's not—he's not really a man of, you know, he's ostensibly a kind of man of action, but he's also kind of an idiot as well, <laughs> um, which makes for like a nice bit of comedy. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think he's—I um, think he's great.
1: Yeah, no, that is true. I do—I do need Torchwood Twelve again, and that that relationship definitely does come across. You're right, um, and it is a shame that he didn't get. Proper send off. So that always, that's something that annoys me, especially um, quite quite a lot in the sixties. I guess, I mean, it's I don't even like I didn't even like Dodo necessarily, but
0: right, <laughs> yeah, right. I feel like yeah,
1: they had a habit like, of yeah of sort of disappearing companions when they didn't need them anymore. It was like, I mean, Dodo is probably the worst example
0: but um, no the worst example up. is oh, Leela. yeah yeah yeah. No. <laughs> that is the worst <laughs> example so I'm gonna to have to correct you there That's <laughs> you're right that example. is the
1: worst example
2: <laughs> so what would be your favorite of uh, season 12 then is it um, Genesis or
1: I think it's gotta be Genesis yeah I do I do yeah. love in space but um I mean there's a reason that everyone loves everyone loves Genesis
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> season 13 we kind of say goodbye to harry and then with the zygons and then wind up with seeds of doom and pyramids of mars along the way i'm guessing you were more in line with tom by season 13 by by terror of the zygons you were on the tom train
1: oh yeah definitely probably by halfway through series 12 really it doesn't Uh take that long (laughs) yeah i love seeds of doom in season 13 which it's not your traditional Doctor Who story, I guess. Um Mm-mm. I think it's probably probably crosses the line in terms of how violent the Doctor should be. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and it's possibly a slightly cop out ending, but despite despite all of those things, I just love it. I don't know what it's like, it's so entertaining. Chase uh-huh. is such a fantastic villain. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Do you think uh do you think like a seeds of doom? style more of like a sci-fi i guess the the line is it's the avengers type uh doctor who do you think that would have worked in like the tenant era if rtd had done something with it with tenants doctor throwing a few punches waving a gun around
1: <laughs> um <laughs> i don't know i don't think i feel like tom could get away with it because because he he was more sort of alien than i guess than anyone who'd come before and possibly anyone who's come since really um, mm-hmm. and especially Tennant feels like a, a very human version of the doctor, Right. which uh, I guess is what some people don't like about him. I mean, I, I love that. Yeah.
2: You had mentioned human nature was just sublime as the Doctor Who, and I think that might amplify the humanity of Tennant's portrayal as the doctor.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I'd love to read the, the novel because I feel like in a way... Maybe it'd be more interesting with a with more alien Doctor so that the contrast was bigger, because obviously McCoy is uh, one of the more darker Doctors, I guess. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think either way, human nature of the episode is basically an astonishing piece of television. I think Tennant is amazing in it. Yeah, and, uh it is. Yeah, the humanity of, of John Smith, because, I mean, it's, it's not the Doctor. Right. You just invest in him and his relationship with Joan completely. Yeah.
2: To flip that around, could you see you had mentioned more alien doctor with the novel with McCoy. Do you think a Tom Baker doctor could do human nature, say uh, partnered up with uh, Leela? For... <laughs> I'd, I'd
1: love to see how Leela would cope like stranded in 1914. Having, <laughs> having to put up with the likes of um, Jeremy Baines. Yeah. I'd love that. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it would be, it would be fascinating to see Tom Baker in, in that situation or, or McCoy if they'd made it for him, but um, I don't think you'd I don't think you'd top for the Tenant version at this point.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so uh, iconic for Tenant. It's one of his defining stories of his era. That it's sort of like how I see Genesis. You can't really take that and give that to another Doctor because Tom, especially with that scene with Davros, and then outside the Dalek incubator with you know, does he have the right? Those are so notable tom baker scenes that it's really hard to envision another doctor doing even going there or their portrayals just don't seem like they would click for me
1: yeah yeah totally i mean at that point they were they were sort of writing for tom baker the man weren't they basically like how Hmm. late into the season is that so they i mean they'd have obviously cast him but would would he have been shooting other stuff by the time they were writing it or would it have been written before then i'm not sure
2: I'd have to go look at the timeline. Definitely by season 13, they were writing for Tom, and Tom was already aware that he was becoming a big star and the ratings were going up. So right. as as the show progressed, not only were writers writing for Tom, but I think uh, Tom Baker himself was changing the character of the Doctor from the printed script to be him.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is probably part of why he's he's so brilliant is that, I mean, It's not really a performance anymore. At some at some point, it just like the line is blurred between the Doctor and Tom Baker, and it's um yeah he just becomes the Doctor to an extent that you can't not watch him. I guess he's
3: he's (laughs) such
1: a presence. Yeah. 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 Mm
3: -hmm.
2: So Seeds of Doom was your favorite from thirteen season thirteen.
1: I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. What else is Mm -hmm. in season
2: thirteen? Pyramids of Mars, Android Invasion, Brain of Morbius.
1: I love Brain of Morbius. Yeah. Yeah, I love *Brindamore* obvious, uh, and actually, I rewatched *Pyramids of Mars* after after I finished the whole the whole thing because actually, that was one that I know other people love that I mm-hmm. didn't necessarily rate quite so much, so I mm-hmm. wanted to sort of t- double check basically. <laughs>
2: um, what was your assessment then on your second rewatch? Is uh, uh, has the world gone mad with uh, <laughs> the love of *Pyramids of Mars* or did it hold up better or what? How did it, it go?
1: Um. I think I enjoyed it more the second time around. I mean, I don't I don't love it. I guess I can see mm-hmm. what the people do. For me, what is it about it? I guess it's just, like, I don't think it gives Tom Baker maybe enough space to be as funny as he becomes, certainly by season 15, but it's, it's there in, in 14 as well.
2: He's deadly serious in it, isn't yeah, he?
1: Yeah, yeah, completely. And, <laughs> I, I mean, I guess it's fair enough because Sutek is an excellent villain, but right. I like more humor, I suppose, and... Certainly in mm-hmm. the Tom Baker Doctor Who, but in in general, I think.
2: And so, like the humour, you said you started seeing more in like season fourteen, even.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, Talons certainly.
2: Yeah, with Jago and Lightfoot.
1: Yeah, Jago and Lightfoot. Um, I've been listening to some of some of their big finish ups as well, actually. Since. Oh yeah. Outside. Yeah, I love that. That's great.
2: Do you have one that we'd recommend that you particularly like of the big finish Jago and Lightfoot's?
1: Um. Well, I'm only three series in, but well, Leela joins them in series three, so. That's
2: mm-hmm. a bonus. <laughs> it's a bonus, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had just finished uh, just of Jacks or Jacksler or whatever the Mary Tam uh, Fourth Doctor Jago and Lightfoot story, and that's that was a lot of fun. So they're a great team, and I'm so glad that big finish spun them off to, into their own series. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, I bought that. I haven't listened to it yet it's on my Mm -hmm. it's on my list
2: so just kind of jumping ahead do you think the humor became more and more prevalent when Hinchcliffe left then as as or is that more noticeable then um
1: yeah I think I think so I mean I feel like Robert Holmes was um his are almost always very funny and obviously he was script editor while Hinchcliffe was around so Mm -hmm. I don't quite know how that works but Mm -hmm. in general yeah I think I I would agree that it becomes Mm -hmm. more prevalent after Hinchcliffe leaves Mm -hmm. Not that I don't like the Hinchcliffe years, yeah.
2: Right, the well, Hinchcliffe years are uh, Bob Holmes is kind of notorious for not having women characters in it. So like the whole Hinchcliffe years, you basically have Vyra, uh, Amelia Ducat, like stories of Planet Evil. It's just uh, Liz Slayton as Sarah is the only woman entirely in it, and it definitely has its vibe to it.
3: Yeah,
1: it does. That's kind of indefensible because they were doing better in the in the sixties stuff. Right. But at the same time, the quality of some of those stories in the Hinchcliffe era is, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Although, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I feel like Amelia Ducar is probably one of my favorite things about do Doom. So, right. Yeah. I don't know.
2: When they do have a woman, it's usually a very good role.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: And then uh, season 14, we have Tom on his own with Deadly Assassin. You already mentioned Talons. Any, and Leela coming on with Face of Evil. Any? Did you like the change from Sarah to Leela? Do you like... or? Did did that catch you, kind of like the same surprise that moving from John Pertwee to Tom Baker did?
1: Um, I'd love Sarah, but I guess you've got Deadly Assassin as a kind of buffer between mm. the, the two. And actually, I, I do love Sarah, but Leela is also such a fantastic companion that you don't necessarily miss her for, for that long, mm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I, f- I feel like the run of companions from sort of Jamie through to Romana 2, I guess, is just so strong. They mm-hmm. would probably be my favorite companions of the classic era, all of them, in that run. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Yeah.
2: And then we get more Leela, and then Graham Williams comes in as a producer. And have you heard or watched anything about Mary Whitehouse?
1: She the one who uh, complained about the Deadly Assassin, Cliffhanger. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. So she's had a, a big impact on the show, and that's, I think, kind of, partially why it changed so much of season 15 that and lack of money Okay, but it, it becomes a lot more jokey as it moves on in the williams era
1: it does i thought that was more more a case of tom sort of feeling like he could do what he wanted was that, yeah, I don't that know. that's probably true too, <laughs> <That> too. <laughs> which fair enough by the way
2: mm-hmm. on season 15 and that's um from horror of Fang Rock through invasion of time did, was there anything that stood out for you in that season
1: uh, I love the sunmakers and i was very oh, yeah. surprised to learn that people generally don't is that right i mean
2: yes huh. oh, No, oh, i
0: love straight. it <laughs> yeah i love the sunmakers. Excellent, good taste <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah it's sort of it's like um kind of all the energy and silliness i guess of like season 17 but still within the confines of a really clever witty bob at home script i don't know yeah. I, mean, I just find it absolutely hilarious <laughs>
2: And this is for me the K9 came on with uh Invisible Enemy and I'm a big K9 fan. Ben's, Ben's Ben was a little older as a kid when K9 came on and what did you think of K9? <laughs> I
0: thought it was Silly and beneath me and childish. <laughs> so I didn't like it.
2: So those are the two kind of fandom poles of K Nine. K Nine. Did you like K Nine, or indifferent, or just really K Nine? <laughs>
1: um, well, again, my obviously my first exposure to K Nine was, was school reunion right? Um, right, cool. Sarah started Adventures, yeah, and I was definitely the right age to love uh, stupid tin dog. Yay! <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: You're wrong, Ben. <laughs> oh well. Oh well. Wrong again. Wrong again. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. Yeah. I think. I think he's great. Um. And actually, uh, I, I don't remember much about him in Sarah Jane Adventures, to be honest. So I wasn't quite sure what to expect mm-hmm. going into Invisible Enemy Onwards, but I feel like I feel like he had more personality than I was expecting. <laughs> to be
3: honest.
2: I think that's again. The relationship between the actors, because the actor who played the voice of K-9, John Leeson, got on really well with Tom. So I think that chemistry comes across. Uh, the actors bring more than what's what's scripted. Yeah. And I'm not sure K-9 was much in Sarah Jane just due to the royalties that they would have had to pay the yeah. Baker and Martin estate to have him on. So he was uh, seasoning rather than a main character.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He was floating around a black hole, I think. About that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's very yeah.
1: Very random, but yeah, no, I liked, I, I liked, I liked him. Sunmakers, Sun-makers and yeah, what's not to
2: love? And then, as we touched on, the worst companion exit ever with Lila. Poor Leela. It's, yeah. it's
1: like, yeah, it is. It is awful. It's sort of kind of unforgivable because it's so, it's so not in line with everything that had gone before in terms of Leela's character, and yeah. yeah, it's so. Yeah. Outwise.
0: Crying shame.
1: It is a crying
3: shame.
2: If you were producing the show at that time and you knew that Louise Jameson was going, what would you have done for her exit in Invasion of Time, knowing the constraints of that story?
1: Um, I mean, I guess even just choosing to stay behind on Gallifrey without falling in love with a guy she'd, she'd exchanged about four words with would have been a treatment. Yeah, I don't know. Or or if she'd asked her just to to go back home or somewhere else i wouldn't have wanted to see her die because she's great that would have been, that would have been too sad right but yeah i don't know just
2: anything not, but
1: anything but that
2: <laughs> <laughs> so if there's one bad decision don't make that one bad decision anything else is an improvement on it
3: Precisely.
0: i didn't understand why she didn't just go off with the with the shop or whatever they're called you know that's what it seemed to me that story was building towards is there's a tribe of savages who live out in the deserts of Gallifrey. She should have just gone off and led them for a bit.
1: Yeah. That's a really good point. I've forgotten about them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, which again, I mean, again, they were sort of underwritten sort of gestural characters that, that I guess were sort of just there for a bit, but yeah, that's what I was expecting to happen when I was watching it. And so the marriage to Android thing was like a, like a blow. <laughs> literal blood. Deflating. Yeah, very deflating and upsetting. Oh, well.
2: Key to time series. uh, Mary Tam.
1: Yeah, so I mean, Mary Tam I love and Romano One and that whole
0: relationship. Mm
1: -hmm. I think it was an interesting decision for them to have a whole, like an ongoing story for this season. Mm -hmm. Is is That's the first one, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, unless you count someone like Dalek's master plan, I suppose.
2: You could almost look at season 12 as a story arc uh, centering around Nerva Beacon where they go arc in space and then go down to planet earth through yeah, yeah, sometimes, and, and then all the way through revenge that's that's kind of arc or the harry sullivan arc but i think generally perhaps key to time is you know an arc as we would think of arc like with uh, bad wolf or impossible girl or whatever it, it's definitely arc in quotes yeah
1: yeah yeah and um i think i think they did that really well actually it's it feels like more of a more of a rusty davis arc in that they are looking for Peter the Keats' time, but at the same time, all of those stories, I guess apart from Armageddon Factor, do basically work as self-contained stories, mm-hmm. which I prefer to the Moffat approach, I guess, where it all becomes a bit bit, bit more convoluted. Um,
3: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, certainly. So,
1: so yeah, I mean, I do... On the whole, I really like season 16, and I think especially, like, uh, Andros of Tara and Stones of Blood are great. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just Armageddon... F- I don't even mind Armageddon Factor the story but as an end as an end to the arc that they'd set up it feels a bit Mm -hmm. odd Uh but
2: yeah is andrew zatara stones of blood the standouts for you in that season then
1: i think so yeah i mean i I love i love bob holmes but Mm -hmm. we operation and power call aren't They're not my favorites of his, basically. I feel like, yeah, standard John's Blythe's probably my favorite of season 16.
2: I like the dichotomy or the the switch between the kind of the Hinchcliffean gothic horror in the first two episodes and then you have more outer spacey Graham Williams in the trial out out in hyperspace in the second half of that story. I really, I like that balance. And to me, that's what makes it Doctor Who is smashing those two things up Against each other and trying to tell a story.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. The kind of story that only Doctor Who can can tell. Exactly.
2: And Douglas Adams of the Pirate Planet makes his only credited or credited line as an as a writer in there, and then he becomes story editor in season seventeen. What do you think of that?
3: I
1: I I really like season seventeen. Does it, I know it gets sort of quite a lot of flack, doesn't it? I guess, but um, yeah, I mean, City yeah. of Death. Obviously, is amazing. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, I feel like Destiny is probably the only dud, really. I mean, I quite like <laughs> I like Reach from the Pit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's a real shame that Shada never got never got made in its entirety. I love what we have with that.
2: Did uh, BritBox have the animated Shada then, or?
1: Yeah, it did yeah. Um, a sort of movie length half animated. Yeah. 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 Which I really liked that. Um, especially the live action stuff. To be fair,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. that
1: whole Cambridge setting i feel like it really
2: works what about the story of shada that you like
1: um yeah it's very it's very douglas adams feeling isn't it um
2: yeah like
3: especially yeah.
1: Professor notice and the whole cambridge setting i feel like i mean what i also really liked about that version which i guess we wouldn't have got if they'd actually had the chance to to make it was the use of the city of death score it gave the whole thing a kind of just like a nice almost nostalgic feel to it and it felt almost Mm -hmm. like a spiritual sequel to City of Death. Yeah which I really liked.
2: Yeah Mark Ayers who was the composer for Shada the animated version took the kind of cues and inspiration from Dudley Simpson's City of Death and reworked it in different arrangement different but yet familiar tonally to that and so yeah it, it does kind of work as a pairing to City of Death.
1: Yeah which I, I really like and as I said I mean I don't know what it would have ended up looking like if they'd had the chance to make it and it is a it is a shame but I feel like they they did a, a really good job with with the animation mm-hmm. and yeah
2: yeah Horns and Nyman any thoughts on that
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's the other dead in season 17 I forgot about, about
2: ah. one I <laughs> like that one did your family do anything going to Christmas pantos or anything growing up
1: yeah, yes. And now you mention it, I guess it does have that kind of a feel to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I do like Ones and Nine it's, it's just... It's
2: It's not the same caliber as City of Death.
3: Put it that way, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then season 18, I think the jokiness kind of is gone in many ways.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, in many ways. Season 18 is it's an odd one, isn't it? Like. Yeah. I love I love State of Decay. I just think that's a really good story, Terrence Dicks, So yep. not surprising really. But um mm-hmm. otherwise, like I guess the individual stories, none of them are sort of groundbreaking, but I feel like I'd I'd probably like them all a lot more if there wasn't just sort of this overriding that funereal feel, which I guess is yeah partly intentional, but <laughs> Right. Possibly not to the extent that it ended up being. At least mm-hmm. for me, watching it, it felt really kind of melancholy. Just knowing that Tom Baker didn't necessarily want to be there anymore.
2: Right. Yeah,
1: I didn't like enjoy watching that series, even though the stories themselves were fine, or in the case of State of Decay, really, really good. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's an odd one.
2: Yeah. So, State of Decay is your standout in in that series. Yeah, I think so. For companion introductions, what did you since you like the Time Team of Adric, Nyssa, and Tegan, They all make their entrance in the, that final season of Tom Baker. How do you think that works, and then translates into then your enjoyment of that trio in the Davison era? Uh,
1: Tegan's entrance really like surprised me because I wasn't I I didn't know that that was necessarily mm. something that J and T was going to try and do. Like going forward, it's I was expecting it sort of with Perry, which is such a kind of uh,
3: mm-hmm.
1: weird and domestic and aggressively normal um, <laughs> <introduction>, <laughs> um for want of a better phrase. Yeah. But but I wasn't expecting it with Tegan. and so I but I really I really liked that the little touches like leaving the house and forgetting to close the door and having to go back and close it and and her aunt and I was just a bit like oh this is kind of like something that you'd see in in modern Who, mm-hmm. so I I liked that but it did feel kind of at odds with um with everything that had gone before but especially everything that had gone before in the Tom Baker era which this technically was but also kind of wasn't because it was it was T. so yeah I, I i do like Tegan's uh, Tegan introduction um this is an feel a bit more uh traditional i guess
2: mhm yeah, Tegan seems almost to be the first companion that would work in the 21st century who
1: yeah yeah i guess she does um and then after Tegan, they all sort of feel more like in that in that, in that, that frame, I suppose.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> more contemporary.
1: Yeah. I think my favorite, my favorite, I was going to say my favorite companions are, are contemporary airspace, but that's not true because I love, I do love Leela um, mm-hmm. and Romana. But I think my favorite type of companion is contemporary
2: airspace. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a cliche, but they are more identifiable with, I suppose.
2: How about like Ace then?
1: Um <laughs> I don't mind I don't mind Ace. Um yeah, and I think I think her relationship with McCoy is, is great, but uh she's not my favourite. Um uh-huh. I mean I didn't mind Mel either. I was expecting I was expecting to hate Mel just because <laughs> 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 before I even saw her because of um her reputation. But then there was, I went into the classic era was, with loads of expectations that were completely subverted. Like I mean I sort of expected the entire J and T era apart from caves to be like terrible (laughs) from what you really (laughs) sort of expect it all to be uh awful but i really enjoyed it yeah and Mm -hmm. i sort of expected black and white era to be really really slow and for the most part it wasn't so so yeah
2: cool we've been kind of peppering you with questions for the past uh 40 45 minutes or so do you have anything you want to ask us
1: um i guess like like why have you decided to podcast specifically about tom baker and and why why now? I mean, why not, obviously, because he's, he's great. But mm-hmm. yeah, what, what made you decide to do that?
2: I think I wanted to look at Tom Baker while he was still alive and not do uh, a funereal podcast series on Tom Baker's impact on the show. So I wanted to think of it as a celebration of Tom as we know him now through with Doctor Who, but then through Big Finish. So He's getting up in years and I wanna I wanna think about Tom while he's still with us as an actor is probably my main motivation for this past summer. Right. And then with Jody being off the air and a lockdown, it seemed like a good time to do a focus in on Tom.
1: Yeah, no, nice. It's a good idea.
2: Yeah. So, kind of as a, a final question for you, then, is would you recommend to a new Who fan, you know, someone who grew up watching either Tennant or Matt Smith, to do the whole classic Who marathon, or do, would you suggest they do more uh, selective sampling on um, viewing?
1: Uh, I I loved it, mm-hmm. and um, I guess I I think if you love new Who enough that actually. Um what you love is just Doctor Who as a whole rather than just new who then then it's definitely worth doing because it is still Doctor Who fundamentally and uh
3: mm-hmm.
1: and yeah, I loved it, but um, I mean, if you're unsure about it, I guess it um they're much more self contained, so you could easily look up a list of sort of what what the best stories are meant to be and uh enjoy them
3: mm-hmm.
1: for what they are so mm-hmm. yeah i I suppose it depends it depends but but I I would I loved it
2: (laughs) go for the long haul yeah
1: Yeah, do it why not
2: (laughs) great well thank you so much Holly for joining us thank you for asking me okay how'd that go for you
1: that was great thanks yeah Uh, I really enjoyed that
2: okay thank you for listening to episode 174 where we've been talking with Holly and it's goodbye from me Uh, it's goodbye from me
1: and goodbye from me